0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Exolansis. In today's episode, I'm going to make good on a promise I made to a recent guest, Vera Brozzoni, to discuss Johann Sebastian Bach's famous Goldberg Variations. First of all, what are the Goldberg Variations? Well, they are a set of keyboard variations on an aria. If you don't know what an aria is, I'm happy to elaborate. An aria is a type of solo song in an opera or oratorio typically characterised by its lyrical and melodic qualities. Bach's composition is undoubtedly one of the most famous works in the repertoire and is widely regarded as a masterpiece of the Baroque period. The work was first published in 1741 and was named after Johann Gottlieb Goldberg, who was a young harpsichordist at the court of Count Kaiserling. Curiously, the Count was an insomniac and asked Bach to compose some music that Goldberg could play to him at night in order to help him sleep. As mentioned, the variations consist of an aria, followed by 30 variations, with the aria being the basis for the first and last variations. The variations themselves are diverse in character, ranging from energetic and playful to contemplative and introspective. The writing is not only technically demanding, but also requires a great deal of musical sensitivity and interpretative skills. The work has been interpreted in many different ways over the years, with some performers emphasising the virtuosic elements of the piece, while others tend to focus more on its emotional depth. Despite being over 250 years old, the Goldberg variations continue to be popular today and are frequently performed and recorded by pianists, harpsichordists, and other keyboard players. Interestingly, the variations have been transcribed for a variety of instruments, including the guitar, string quartet, and even the accordion. I'm not sure what the grand old master himself would have made of that. Let's touch briefly now on what happens in each of the variations. In the first variation, a simple but effective reworking of the original aria melody is outlaid with added embellishments and ornaments. The second variation features fast and lively scale passages with a playful and light-hearted character. When we get to the third variation, we discover a two-part invention with the right and left hands playing off each other in a lively and rhythmic exchange. Number four is a miniature dance with a charming and graceful character. The fifth variation is a slow, expressive saraband with a mournful and introspective character. The sixth variation features a lively and playful rhythm with a sense of energetic movement and momentum. Into variation seven, we have one of Bach's favorite types of composition, a toccata, with fast and intricate arpeggios and runs. The eighth variation is again a two part invention with the right and left hands playing in a fast and complex counterpoint. The ninth is a gentle and expressive minuet with a delicate and refined character. The tenth variation features a fast and virtuosic figuration in the right hand with a simple and harmonically stable left-hand accompaniment. Another slow variation appears in the eleventh instalment with a introspective saraband, again of a mournful and melancholic character. The twelfth variation is, again, a two-part invention. This one has a fast and intricate counterpoint in both hands. A fast and energetic piece features in the thirteenth variation with a strong rhythmic drive and a sense of momentum. The fourteenth is a cannon at the fifth, with the right hand imitating the left hand at a distance of five notes. Another ingenious uh, method. The fifteenth variation is a lively and virtuosic geek with a lively and energetic character. The 17th, again, another two part invention, this one with a fast and intricate counterpoint in both hands. When we arrive at number 17, again, it's a slow and expressive piece. This one has a contemplative and introspective character. Building on the canon at the fifth, back in variation 14, Bach arrives with a canon at the sixth in variation 18, with the right hand imitating the left hand at a distance of six notes. Confused, you will be but we are almost halfway through, in fact, Uh, the 19th variation features a fast and virtuosic figuration in the right hand with a simple and harmonically stable left-hand accompaniment. Variation 20 is a two-part invention. This one has a fast and intricate counterpoint again in both hands. A lively and playful dance features in Variation 21. This one has a joyful and celebratory character. Another two-part invention follows with the 22nd, again, a fast and intricate counterpoint given in both hands. In Variation 23, Bach features a fast and virtuosic figuration in the right hand with a simple and harmonically stable left hand accompaniment. Variation 24 is a canon at the octave this time, with the right hand imitating the left hand at an interval of eight notes. Vera, I do recall you mentioning a uh, small hand and difficulty in stretching an octave, so I wonder how you would have got on with Variation 24. Um, Variation 25 is a slow and expressive piece with a contemplative and introspective character. Now, as we get to the final five variations of the Goldberg Suite, these are among the most complex and virtuosic pieces in the entire work and really showcase Bach's consummate skill, not only as a composer, but also in his ability to create music which is at once intricate and deeply expressive. It's as though he was perhaps saving the best for last. As we go into Variation 26, we notice that this is marked as Overture. It's also reminiscent of the opening movement of a Baroque suite. It is written in a French Overture style with a slow, majestic opening followed by a fast fugal section. The variation features elaborate ornamentation and a sense of grandeur, making it a fitting conclusion to the first half of the final group of variations. Twenty-seven is a virtuosic canon at the ninth, with the right hand imitating the left hand at a distance of nine notes. The interplay between the two hands creates a sense of tension and excitement, as each line weaves in and out of each other. The canon builds to a climax before tapering off into a quiet ending. Twenty-eight is a two-part canon at the octave, with the left hand leading the right. The two parts are separated by a pause, creating a sense of rhythmic tension. The variation also features a strong rhythmic pulse and a lively dance-like character. 29 is marked as Aria da Capo, meaning it is a return to the original aria that began the work. However, Bach has transformed the aria into a hauntingly beautiful piece that is full of pathos and depth. The melody is now played in the left hand, while the right hand plays a complex accompaniment, creating a sense of melancholy and introspection. We arrive at variation 30, and this variation is actually a quadlibet, a type of composition that combines several different melodies together. Quite cleverly, Bach incorporates two popular German folk songs into the variation, Ich bin so lang nicht bei der Gwest, and Kraut und Ruben haben mich vertrieben, which are woven together with the original aria melody this variation has a joyful, celebratory character, bringing the work to a satisfying conclusion. Historical figures who have been less enamoured of J.S. Bach have variously described his music as mathematical, dry, dull, and overly logical. And arguably, if it hadn't been for the restorative effects of Felix Mendelssohn in the late 1820s to bring his music back into the national consciousness, he might well have faded into obscurity, or at best, thought of as some distant organist from the Baroque period. Perish the thought. I believe we have a lot to thank Herr Mendelssohn for. So where to go from here in terms of selecting your best entry point to discovering the Goldberg Variations? The good news is that there is a sizable library of some very special performances which have been committed to disc. I should note that all of these recordings are for piano and not harpsichord. As musical interpretations are so subjective and so deeply personal, one person's meat might be another person's poison. However, I feel that there are enough recommended recordings out there to suit every taste. So, here is my attempt at a suggested top five. Any exploration of the Goldberg variations should surely include one of Canadian pianist, pianist, sorry, Glenn Gould's accounts. He made a mono recording in 1955, which seemed to bring the piece back into fashion. A quirky character with a style, a way out on his own, later advances in recording technologies have enabled engineers to try and reduce the humming he was known for during performances. Gould made a further digital recording in 1981, which in my view should form part of any classical music collection. It's that good. Wilhelm Kempf's 1969 account for Deutsche Grammophon is also well worth a listen, if only for his account of the aria. Two fantastic recordings also exist by the outstanding András Schiff, his first for Decker in 1983, and then a subsequent performance 20 years later for ECM in a live performance from Baal, Switzerland. If it's a more cerebral performance you're looking for that's full of wisdom and nice individual touches, check out Daniel Barenboim's 1989 recording for TELDEC. Room for one more? In that case, my suggestion would be Murray Pariah's 2000 recording for Sony, which actually went on to win the Gramophone Award. Although it's difficult to explain precisely how he achieved what he did in this recording, there is a sense somehow of the spirit of exploration, as though he were traversing all the intricacies of the human experience. Incidentally, links to all of the recordings I've recommended in this episode can be found in the description. Go ahead and check them out. They're well worth a listen. For me, Bach's music seems to have that timeless, esoteric quality. How best to put it, music that only an old soul could have written. On that note, we have arrived at the end of today's episode. I hope this was informative, educational, and even valuable to you. I also hope that I have met with the approval of my dear friend, Vera Brazzoni. Join us again soon for more insights into the emotional boundaries and experiences available to us all within classical music. Until next time, take care.